Threema is a Swiss encrypted messaging application with more than 10 million users and more than 7,000 on-premise customers. Prominent users of Threema include the Swiss government and the Swiss army, as well as the current chancellor of Germany. Threema has been widely advertised as a secure alternative to other messengers, such as Signal, WhatsApp, or iMessage. In a recent work, however, by the Applied Cryptography Group at ETH Zurich, they've presented seven attacks against the cryptographic protocols used in Threema in three distinct threat models. In this episode of Cryptography FM, we'll be talking about these attacks, their implications, and the response by the Threema team. We're also introducing a new co-host in this episode, Lucas Meyer. Stay tuned. Patterson joined the Department of Computer Science at ETH Zurich in April 2019. He's the founder and head of the Applied Cryptography Group there. The associate department head in 2021 and 2022 and department head from 1st of January 2023. Research over the last two decades, mostly in the area of cryptography, with a strong emphasis on the analysis of deployed cryptographic systems and the development of provably secure solutions to real-world cryptographic problems. Kenny is the co-founder of the Real World Cryptography series of workshops to support the development of this broad area and to strengthen the links between academia and industry. Hi, Kenny. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. We're also joined by Kian Chuang Truong, who is currently a PhD student at ETH Zurich in the Applied Cryptography Group. His interests in cryptography lie in analyzing real-world cryptographic protocols and seeing how cryptography is misused in the wild. Previously, he studied at ETH Zurich for his master's in cybersecurity and at Politecnico di Milano for his bachelor's in computer engineering. He was part of the 2021 and 2022 lineups for Team Italy, the national team of young cybersecurity enthusiasts created in order to represent Italy in international capture the flag competition. Hi, Ken. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And finally, we're joined by Matteo Scarlatta. He has a BSc in Computer Science from the University of Pisa, obtained in 2017, and MSc in Computer Science from ETH Zurich, obtained in 2021. And currently, Matteo is a second year PhD student in the Applied Cryptography Group at ETH Zurich. He is interested in the challenges that arise when cryptography meets the real world systems and hardware. This is complemented by an interest in formal methods, both applied in this area and in general. Uh, thank you all so much for joining myself and Lucas in this resurrective episode for Cryptography FM, uh, prompted by your fantastic, very creative research on Threema, uh, published in your recent paper, uh, Three Lessons from Threema, Analysis of a Secure Messenger, which will be linked in the podcast description below. So in this paper, you've uh, looked at Threema from three different attacker standpoints and threat models as in so far as I understand. And you offer a set of um, attacks and security analyses on Threema, which we'll get into in a bit. But first, maybe we should tell our audience, what is Threema? So Threema is a, a Swiss messenger application. And it is remarkable because it is being used by the Swiss government and the Swiss army at the current moment. Um, it has also been advertised as being used by Olaf Scholz, the Chancellor of Germany, which makes it a very interesting uh, point of analysis for as a messenger application. And it advertises itself to be a very secure messenger application. And we decided to take a look at it because of all these points. It's uh, mostly a Swiss uh, application and uh, it advertises itself as being uh, secure somewhat because of its Swissness and it's part of its advertisement. And uh, us being a part of a Swiss public institution, we thought that it would be interesting to actually take a look at it. So you're, you're telling me that software source code written in Switzerland does not magically benefit from a mystical layer of security, very much like mystical artifact forged by elves, you know, or something like that. That, that logic doesn't translate. Is that what you're claiming? Not even if you put your servers in an alpine bunker, unfortunately. We were shocked to learn that this, this was not the case. Interesting, interesting. So yeah, uh, for, for, for the audience out there, I mean, Threema is basically downloadable by the general public off of the Google Play Store and Apple App Store. It's basically functionality-wise, insofar as I understand, I've never used it, similar to Signal or WhatsApp, right? But you pay a fee to use it. 
Correct. Are there any additional special features that Threema has that competitors like Signal don't have? So the main uh, feature that uh, they have is that they also provide this on-prem version of Threema. And I think this is the reason why the Swiss government and the Swiss army are actually using Threema, because they can then have their own servers. And at that point, they can have sort of data sovereignty over their messages which is something that Signal does not provide, as far as we know. Another point of difference is that um, I think Signal does require you to register a phone number as part of the account um, setup process, whereas Threema, you don't have to do that. Um, you can you have a kind of a pseudo-random looking um, account ID, if I recall correctly, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be linked to a phone number. I see. Yeah, a lot of people can um, have a problem with Signal requiring you to register via your phone number myself included, actually, because sometimes I have to use it for work and it's not necessarily the case that I have to want to give away my phone number in a bunch of random groups uh, all the time. Exactly. Uh, I believe that Moxie uh, gave a talk that touched upon that subject at the Chaos Computer uh, Congress a couple of years ago. But um, And the current Signal leadership, I, I, I believe, I, I may be mistaken, has indicated at least some informal interest in moving away from phone numbers, but there hasn't been a lot of action on that. All right, so now that we know what Threema is, maybe you guys can tell us uh, more about your work and what motivated it, and maybe uh, touch a little bit upon the results at a high level before we go into the details. So let me say a couple of words about motivation, and, and I'll let Kien and Matteo really fill in the, the details on the attacks themselves. I um, did some work earlier this year, published earlier this year on Telegram, uh, with the guys at Royal Holloway, the guys and girls at Royal Holloway. And um, every time I gave a talk about that in Switzerland, people in the audience would ask me, but what about Threema? And I had to say, well, what's Threema? And then they would explain to me it's the Swiss messenger. Um, and so after about the third or fourth time I got asked that question, I thought, okay, this this is something that should go on the list. Um, it's not the biggest messenger out there by, by user numbers. It only has maybe 10 million or 11 million users, something like that. Um, so it's relative, it's tiny compared to Telegram, which now has maybe 750 million users or even higher. Um, but I kept get, getting asked about it in the context of Switzerland. So that was really the, the, the sort of starting point for the motivation. And then after that, um, there was this uh, announcement by the Swiss government, particularly the Swiss military, uh, that it would, it would be the only messenger that it was permitted to use in, in the Swiss army. Um, and so, you know, WhatsApp and Signal and so on were banned and everything had to move to um, to Threema. Okay, that makes it even more interesting. It goes up the charts at that point and becomes more of a target. Um, so that was really uh, the motivation. And then more broadly as well in my group, we have this kind of theme of, uh, we, we call it crypto in the wild, where we look at real world deployments of cryptography and we try to understand are they secure? Are they not secure? What mistakes did they make? What what can we learn from from uh, the state of the the world as far as deployed cryptography is concerned? And we've had a number of successful projects there, and it's a fantastic training ground for master students and PhD students as well, um, because they get to see all the things that are taught in class being used in these systems, and then they have to try and you know figure out what mistakes were made and is it secure. Um, so that was really the starting point for me and Matteo to write a master's thesis proposal. And we were incredibly lucky to get Kien to come along and sign up for it and actually start doing the work. Um, so I remember uh, our first meeting with Kien, uh, uh, where he, you know, kind of bounded into my office uh, with Matteo hot on his heels, saying, ah, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've figured out what's going on here. Let's show you the protocol and let's show you the first attack. Um, and so that was like maybe a couple of weeks after Kian's project started, right, Kian? You should pick up the story there. Yeah. Um, so the first steps that, so I have this background in uh, capture the flag competitions. I like to find vulnerabilities. So we sort of found some common ground because Kenny wanted to analyze Threema and myself, I needed a master thesis, first of all, and I like to do a master thesis on, um, on attacks. So first of all, we, we were sort of lucky that Threema is open source and uh, we, we commend Threema for actually releasing their client-side uh, application as a, an open source uh, software. And, uh, and when I started looking at it, uh, I saw already on the white paper that they had this custom client-to-server protocol. And that's one of the first things that I saw. 
Um, and then I tried to go inside the code, tried to understand more in depth how this client-to-server protocol worked, saw how the end-to-end -end protocol worked, even though it's rather simple. And uh, I tried to sketch some, uh, some, let's say, formalization of these protocols. And then I showed them uh, to Kenny and Matteo during a call. And uh, we initially thought, uh, well, this is pretty simple. There doesn't seem to be, there doesn't seem to be anything uh, particularly interesting. But then we thought about it a little bit more. And we found the first attack, that is the ephemeral key um, compromise attack. And that was what started the whole process. And then we knew that it was sort of broken in some way. And then we went on and found more attacks as the time went on. So one thing that we do for this uh, cryptography in the wild project is we either break something or we prove something. So like our initial goal was either we prove that Tremens is secure and can makes a master thesis on provable security and writes a very long uh, formal model proving that Trima is secure or we find attacks. And so the initial process for both these tasks is this formalization and abstraction. And that's what happened in the first months. We can, like we spent a lot of time at our whiteboard trying to abstract the protocol away from the implementation. And then we started thinking, can we prove this secure? And when we realized that, no, we cannot prove this secure, then we started looking for attacks. I see. So you truly came into this from a scientific point of view, where you either, you know, you observe what you have in front of you, and you either are able to prove it secure, uh, and write a bunch of proofs, maybe some automated analyses, maybe use a Proverif or Tamarin and so on. Or you find a bunch of attacks and you document the attacks and, and fixes. And I, I think this is going to be important for the last part of the episode where we discuss uh, Threema's reaction to your findings. Um, but uh, thank you very much for this introduction. Ken, maybe you can tell us more about the um, ephemeral key issue that, uh, that you guys found, the, the first issue that you guys found. And we can use that to start talking more about the different threat models and the different issues that you guys found in your analysis. Yes, absolutely. So. Uh, I will start by saying that uh, their client-to-server protocol has, by the the author of the Threema protocol has actually told us that it was sort of based uh, around this other protocol called uh, Curve CP, and uh, essentially it's uh, a it's a handshake protocol that start that it's based upon two sub protocols. The first one being a handshake protocols that try to tries to establish the session key and a transports a protocol, which uses that session key in order to encrypt messages between the client and the server. So we saw that there is this attack where you, if you manage somehow, and we didn't explain specifically some uh, the, the way, if you somehow manage to steal an ephemeral key from the client, then that is actually equivalent as stealing a long-term key. Because both in, in both cases, both stealing the ephemeral key and the long-term key allow an attacker to authenticate as the user to the server. And this is interesting because a similar protocol, um, the OTR protocol, the handshake protocol for OTR, has the same, had the same exact problem, where if you, uh, if you manage to steal the ephemeral key, you would have a, a permanent impersonation from the attacker. So this is not actually uh, something that has never been seen in the history of cryptography. And it's interesting to see that how errors can repeat themselves. But in general, uh, we like this is the first attack that we, that we saw, and uh, uh, it actually shows that it is not that strong uh, from a theoretical level. The client-to-server protocol. This this issue, yeah, it's an old issue that was in OTR, but it was also in Curve CP, which is one of uh, Bernstein's uh, protocol designs. I don't think it's a currently supported protocol. Um, but it's interesting to see it popping up in, in more than one place. Um, I think we discovered that afterwards, right? After we had uh, actually found the attack for ourselves, we, we, we then kind of reversed engineered it back into these other old protocols, if I, if I recall correctly, the process. Maybe, maybe but Kian might tell me I'm wrong about that. No, yeah, yes, indeed. The, the point being that we found the protocol, no, sorry, we found the attack uh, by, by ourselves. And then we noticed that the same attack was already present in the past in the OTR protocol. 
And uh, we then discovered uh, by talking to Threema that they based the protocol upon CurveCP, and then the same uh, problem was in that protocol as well. Do, do you happen to know if this attack was documented before on OTR or other protocols, or was this just a thing that existed? Yes, it was documented. So what's the point of having an ephemeral key if compromising it uh, gives you basically the same, uh, gives the attacker the same compromise as having compromised the long-term identity key? Yeah, there will be absolutely no point. Yeah. Yes, so they wanted to have perfect forward secrecy on the transport layer because the protocol layer does not have perfect forward secrecy as is well. This is a well-documented criticism of, uh, of Threema. All right, but you know, like, so, you know, some people would argue that uh, this is a sort of like academic attack because stealing ephemeral keys isn't exactly something that happens every day unless you have access to the device. You have to like rem remotely root the device somehow or steal the device. Um, so to sort of steel man your, your paper, can you tell us more about the attacks that could be more uh, readily exploitable perhaps uh, through uh, an active attacker or a malicious or compromised uh, Threema server? Yes. So... Uh, after finding the first attack, we noticed that there could be some other way of performing the same attack in some way uh, that requires a little bit of social engineering. And this is actually attack two in our paper. So the idea is that whenever, when we do the first attack, the point is there is this value that the client uses and sends to the server in order to authenticate to the server. They call this value a vouch box. And it basically binds an ephemeral key with the long-term key of the user. And we thought that perhaps if we could, instead of stealing one of these vouch boxes from a previous run of the protocol, what if we could actually forge a new one? And that is indeed what we found. And we found that by using this cross-protocol interaction, this bad cross-protocol interaction that they had because of a lack of key separation, you could actually use one of the messages from the end-to-end -end protocol inside the client-to-server client protocol. And this is pretty interesting because we can see that, uh, indeed, they do not separate keys. And uh, if you can convince the user to use the same key in both protocols, then this can break authentication because the user will unwittingly create uh, a vouch box by just sending an end-to-end -end message. And then the attacker will receive it and he may not be able to decrypt it, of course, because it's a, it's a key that the attacker does not know, but it can just be, re, it can just be played in, an of, in another protocol, that is the client-to-server protocol. And we did this uh, by finding this special message that could be sent as a text message, and that would be interpreted in the client-to-server protocol as sort of a public key, of which we know the private key. Yeah, because I, I remember Kenny tweeting something back in like September about how they needed to rent like this big compute cluster. Is this related to that? Correct. So this is exactly what, why we needed those, um, that many cores. The reason being that we wanted a key, a public key, that, that had a particular shape. And this shape is a little bit rare to find. It needed to start and end with a 0-1 byte. And in the middle, we all wanted UTF-8 copy-pastable characters. The reason being that you just take those characters and then you just send them as a message and then it will recompose the public key. But those characters have to be copy-pastable, otherwise the user would not be able to actually insert those characters inside their application. So the constraint of having the, the 0-1 bytes at the start and at the end and having the UTF-8 values in the middle requires around 2 to the 50 keys to be searched. and because the search is a little bit slow, because you have to create a new private key, then a corresponding public key, and then check whether the public key corresponds to those constraints, is what required us to just spend a lot of computational power in order to find one. I looked at that attack in the paper, and it's definitely a very creative attack. Um, is, this, is this attack also related to the domain separation issue that you guys found? Yeah, so the fact that you can take a message from a protocol, copy it and paste it into another protocol. It's like the best uh, key separation issue that you can have from the attacker standpoint. Normally we want key separation not to prevent, not only to prevent this attack, but also 
when we write a formal model to be able to prove that every part of this protocol is secure on its own. So for example, we want um, to be able to separate the various stages of a TLS key exchange and to talk about each of them separately. Um, but in, in this case, like this is the worst case scenario where there is so little key separation that not only you can take um, a message from a stage and play it in another, but you can do this across two supposedly completely different protocols. And you could achieve, like you could avoid these attacks either by domain separations or by key separation. I mean, key separation is the only way to make it provable secure, but in Trima's case, there was also no domain separation. All right. So that's an attack that works without any necessary compromise uh, occurring on the server side or the server being malicious or device, you know, user device compromise is just a question of uh, a particularly formed message being encrypted and sent and uh, due to the lack of key separation and domain separation and correct uh, HKDF usage and whatever, uh, it ends up uh, triggering this weakness. All right, and uh, so in the paper, I saw that you also have a bunch of attacks that apply in the case of a malicious server, which is definitely um, uh, something that is uh, a reasonable uh, threat model here, especially given the um, dependence of the Swiss government and Swiss army on this uh, secure messaging system. Uh, can you tell us what were your findings in the event that the uh, Threema server is malicious or, or compromised? This malicious server setting, it might be that you're running yourself a server that you think is you know, perfectly under your control, but the server's been hacked by some third party, by another government in the case of a government-run server or by a hacking group or whoever, right? So that's really, I um, want to reinforce uh, Nadim's point that this malicious server model is something that makes perfect sense and that you should really consider. Um, and it's why we care about end-to-end -end security for our secure messaging protocols. Uh, so in, in, in the cases of um, the sort of like nation state um, context that uh, includes the operational security of um, national uh, armies, land armies, and so on, uh, it's always more important than ever to consider the um, context of a hacked uh, server-side infrastructure, whether or not that is an on-premise uh, setup or, or not. You know, I, I know that Threema offers you the opportunity to set up an on-premise system, but the risk remains the same. And so in an end-to-end -end system like Signal, for example, um, the uh, de rigueur you know, approach is to assume that the server is to some serious extent potentially malicious or compromised and that you still have some security on the or some security guarantees on the confidentiality and authentication and so on of messages. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that your paper and your analysis evaluated um, those issues as they pertain to Threema. And I'm wondering what, were, what your findings were um, in the event of a compromised uh, server. So the findings were mostly related to uh, first of all, reordering and deletion of messages in the sense that an attacker could choose the order in which the messages are received, even though they cannot decrypt them, they can still decide uh, to swap the order of the messages, and they can also omit some of the messages in the flow. And uh, this is relevant because it still influences the semantic, semantic value of the messages that are sent. For example, one example that is uh, very common is say, I love pizza, I hate crime, and then swapping the words, it becomes I love crime and I hate pizza, right? So, and, and this is one of the findings. And the other one is related to replay and reflection attacks. And this lies in the way that Threema tries to prevent this way. And we, we deem, deem it not to be sufficient because what Threema does to prevent replay and reflection attacks is to store the nonces that are being used to encrypt the messages. And they are stored client side. So whenever you encrypt a message and send it to, let's say, Bob, you generate a new nonce and you store it in your device. So whenever a message gets reflected to you, you will check that the nonce does not, uh, corresponds to a nonce that you've already seen. So it will drop the message. Or- Why don't they just use a counter? Ah, uh, yes. That's, uh, that's one of the points that I think we, we highlight uh, somewhere in the paper. Uh, that is 
that is true that uh, we, you could use a counter in some way, but there are additional there is an additional point to be made and it relates to metadata and we might talk about that later. Um, but in general, this, this method of storing nonsense and checking them is not extremely effective, right? Because the point being that if you store nonsense, then you have a nonsense database that you have on your phone and you have to transfer it over whenever you change phone or whenever you reinstall the application. And in Android, this does not happen. So this means that whenever you reinstall the application, your whole nonsense database gets completely erased, which means that then you are, you are vulnerable to both replay and reflection attacks. That is bizarre, truly. I mean, you, you have a nonce database that you have to transfer between devices and you have to like keep looking up that database every time you send and receive a message in order for your security guarantees yeah, to hold up? It's crazy. Uh, and why, why is, why is that a thing? Why, why aren't they using, uh, you know, counters or, or a more sensible approach where you don't have to, I mean, it's just that aside from the cryptography stuff, um, it's just like a, per a performance wise, you're imposing a lookup cost. Uh, Kenny, can you, can you enlighten us here? Because I'm, I'm quite confused regarding this engineering decision. Yeah, I think, I think we were very confused too. And I think the best way to answer that is for you to invite the Threema guys onto your podcast and ask them. Um, we, we find it strange. So like every, every time we teach non-space cryptography, um, we talk about, you know, using a counter as the nonce. And we talk about the TLS record protocol as an example that effectively does that. Um, with some tweaks. Um, so it's sort of very much the standard thing to do. So what happens if I've been using Threema for five years? Do I have this giant nonce lexicon lying around on my device? Absolutely. What? And so like, it could be like a 500 megabytes of nonces and it's doing like an ON lookup of... of... Oh, oh yeah. okay. All right. I mean, you would use... You would use a hash table or something, I guess, but um, um, I don't recall exactly what their implementation uses underneath. Do, do you guys recall whether they use some efficient data structure with O1 lookup cost? I hope so. It's just stored inside a SQLite data database. SQLite database, okay. So it's whatever SQL is doing underneath. Yeah. One interesting thing here is that if you, uh, if you look at the, the way messages are received, reading the paper, one interesting detail I, I found out is that Messages have no notion of ordering whatsoever beyond just the timestamp, and even devices might have different views of the order of messages just based on receiving them in a different order. <laughs> yeah, and naturally, this is also true not only for every text message, but for every typing notification and all the other message types that you don't see but that your phone still receives. But maybe to shine some light on this bizarre design, Trima is not. A protocol, Trimas protocol is not a protocol that was cleanly designed and then implemented. It's a protocol that has a lot of patches over the years. And so as they notice some problems, they try to find solutions to them. And now we didn't do a lot of Trima archaeology. So we don't know if this nonce database was part of the very original design in 2012 or if this reply attacks by nonces is something that they noticed somewhere between 2012 and 2022, and they decided to patch in this way. All right, so message reordering, uh, nonce weirdness, ephemeral key compromise leading to session compromise and lack of domain separation uh, leading to a bunch of issues. That's already quite a lot. Uh, are there any other attacks that are interesting that you guys would like to cover? So I think the, one of the cryptographically most interesting attacks are the, is the compression side channel. Uh, just because it's a spectacle that you, you can still find some after crime and all the TLS vulnerability. So compress then encrypt is a well-known bad part, pattern in cryptography. And when Ken noticed that uh, this was the case for Trimas backups, uh, we immediately jumped to, oh, can we actually exploit this? We, we knew it was possible in theory. So like whenever there is uh, a compression and then an encryption, you can have leakage of data. But in the case of Trima, the, com the 
data being compressed are the entire secure state of the application. So your private, your private key and list of contacts. And this is uh, encoded in JSON, then zipped, and then put in a backup that will be uploaded in a server somewhere. And in order to be able to carry out this compression attack, you need to be able to change the plain text. And luckily for us, this backup includes the nicknames of your contacts. And this is something that could be in control of an attacker. So if among your contacts, you have uh, the, the attacker's device and the attacker changes their nickname, uh, then the attacker has partial control of this plain text data. And so they can change the way the compression will behave and observe the final size of the backup and therefore with, with, enough, with enough trials, so with enough uh, change of nicknames, backup attempt and observe the sites, you can recover the entire private key that is saved somewhere else inside the backup. How many iterations uh, do you need to be able to practically exploit this? So in general, we require a median amount of like around 20,000 backup attempts. And they seem to be a lot of attempts, but in general, you, in, on Android, because Threema still works somewhat in the background, even though you, may, you might have a lock screen, you can just restart the application. And the application will try to make a backup again if it failed last time. So just by switching on and off the application, you can cause a backup to be, to be created and sent. And then perhaps you could do something like to drop the packet so that the backup fails somehow. And that will cause another backup to be done again at the next startup of the, of the application. So in, in our threat model, we thought maybe this, then this means that if someone has control of the device, then they can restart the application several times. And then if we take into account, let's say two or three seconds for each restart, this means that these 20,000 backup attempts will require a few hours uh, around 11 hours to be completed. All right. And uh, finally, we also have the Compromat attack. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So in the Compromat attack, you have uh, another kind of cross-protocol interaction. And uh, I, will start, uh, I will start a discussion by saying that this attack was actually patched before we started looking at Trima. Uh, and it was... It was um, it was patched by doing some better domain separation in the in their application, but still we decided to include it because it is still a cross protocol attack, and we think that the deeper reasons of the attack are just that Trima does not do correct domain, correct domain separation and does not do key separation correctly. So after saying this, the the idea is pretty simple. The same the same paradigm that is used for sending messages. So using um, the X2519, so a Diffie-Hellman key exchange, and then encrypting using the AAD is the same thing that is used in another protocol, which is the registration protocol. And in that protocol, what happens is that the server just sends a key, a public key, and a message to the user. And then the user will take its own long-term key, combine it with the key that was given to him, and uh, encrypt the message and send it back to the server, which means that if the client does not check anything, then the, ser then the server can just say, hey, this is a key. For example, this is Bob's public key. And, and uh, here's a message, for example, I hate you, Bob. And this means that the user will just create what, will be, what can be interpreted as an end-to-end -end message and uh, send it back to the server. And now the server can just reroute it to Bob and uh, it will seem like the user has just sent an end-to-end -end encrypted message to Bob saying, I hate you, Bob, or something like that. So this can be used to create uh, for, uh, compromising material, right, Compromat. And, uh, and it is pretty interesting, again, because it is a cross-protocol interaction between the registration protocol and the end-to-end -end protocol. Okay. So at the beginning of this uh, podcast, Kenny said that this was a great paper to show uh, his students that 
um, how uh, you know cryptography concepts that are studied in class uh, can be uh, sort of exploited and, and found and um, you know studied in the real world. And I have to say that I totally agree because this is this is a paper that demonstrates, uh, in my opinion, a remarkable creativity when it comes to how you have all these different types of attacks. I mean, to me personally, the domain separation uh, attack is my favorite uh, because it's genuinely quite creative. It requires a lot of effort in order to come up with a payload that is nevertheless immediately exploitable once you have it. You also uh, look at um, compression, you look at backups, you look at so many different parts of a secure messenger from so many different perspectives a compromised server an active attacker a compromised device you uh study what how you know is uh the ephemeral key accomplishing what an ephemeral key is supposed to accomplish vis-a-vis uh, -vis a long-term key are backups working properly uh domain separation between the end-to-end um, -end encryption protocol and the transport layer protocol all of these things are so distinct from one another and all of them are such uh, important pillars of any secure messaging design and you were able to study them and uh, find flaws in all of them. And so uh, to me, that's really the, the hallmark of a paper. I I'm sure it served Kenny really well to be able to introduce his students to uh, the uh, applied nature of all these cryptographic concepts. But I think this paper will also be an excellent uh, reading material for a bunch of classes all over the world uh, in applied cryptography. Um, I, I really think it's great stuff. It's, it's inspired me to, to uh, resurrect this podcast after a more than a year hiatus. So that's, that's how good the paper is, in my personal opinion. Um, that's incredibly kind. Thank you. Thank you for those it's, wonderful it's, comments. It's, really thank you. it's the truth. It's the truth, right? I just want to say one thing. I mean, you know, Kien and Matteo did all of this work. Uh, you know, obviously, all three of us were working on it, but, you know, Kian was a master's student when he when he started this. Now he he he's a PhD student, and you can see why. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to embarrass Matteo as well. I mean, they're both incredible, um, and the perseverance actually they showed to get all of these attacks to work. So it wasn't just a case of writing them down on paper. It was actually about building um, prototypes for them and checking that they actually work against the app and building an entire uh, framework for evaluating this kind of attack. Um, so it was an incredibly impressive um, exercise. Uh, uh, involving all three of us, really. Um, so we're really pleased that um, it triggered you to, to 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 reconstitute this podcast. That's another plus point as far as we're concerned. That's great. Uh, perseverance is par for the course. Um, goes without saying. You won't get anywhere as an as an academic without perseverance. It's such an important aspect of uh, of the kind of work ethic and the, the, the you know the, the type of work that is done in this space. Uh, it just requires a lot of stubbornness um, to get anywhere. That's that's certain. That was certainly true for me when I was a PhD student, and I assume it's true for everyone else. Uh, all right, given. Uh, how do I ask this? Okay, so given the exceptional quality of this work, uh, I'm sure that the Threema team were thrilled uh, with uh, with your contributions and uh, eff effusive in their in their thanks and appreciation. You know, I assume you guys didn't charge a cent for all of this, right? So, uh, can you tell us more about uh, Threema's reaction to uh, to your to your publication? Maybe I should take this question to start with. Uh, so, indeed. Um... This was an enor enormous amount of extremely high quality free consultancy uh, for Threema. It was un it was not commissioned consultancy, I guess you could say. So maybe it was a little bit of a surprise to them when suddenly this. The one thing I want to quickly add here is that I run a cryptography consultancy and I have for the past five years. And I know for a fact that it's actually impossible for anyone to commission this sort of work uh, as, as an output of any consultancy simply because of how much time it would take. Like uh, the, the domain separation attack that you guys found, and we were just talking about how important persistence is. Uh, consulting work, when it comes to this sort of uh, target, happens at most over a period of like four weeks, and that's it. And that's like, you know, maybe distributed over a number of people. And even like uh, hiring a team for, for four weeks of person time is already, you know, economically uh, a significantly prohibitive cost, even for large companies, right? So what you did, is uh, valuable in the sense that also you simply cannot hire an auditing team to get this sort of uh, results, especially such wide ranging results all over the application. Please continue, Kenny. No, I think you're absolutely right about that. And it's interesting actually that Threema had commissioned some consulting reports earlier, I think two separate reports. Um, we don't know what the duration of those reports was, You know what the work effort was, but they didn't find any of these vulnerabilities. Um, and yeah, it takes, it takes time, it takes a lot of effort. 
you know, I, I jokingly say it was probably a couple of hundred k's worth of uh, of consulting time. If I think, I mean, we're not cheap, um, but in this case, we did it for free and we did it in an unsolicited way. Um, we actually had a very constructive dialogue with uh, with Threema initially. So we, you know, we emailed them with our kind of standard disclosure email. We met with them in person. Uh, it turns out that they are less than twenty kilometers away from the center of Zurich. Uh, they're they're in a town called Fafikon, which is right on the lake. So we went down there for an afternoon and we we had a long conversation with them. Uh, it was great. We discussed mitigation plans and so on. I guess the one thing was that uh, we had different evaluations of how serious these attacks were. So for us, these some of the attacks were very practical, very serious. But for us, really, it was about the collective impact of the attacks, not about the individual attacks. It's about what signal does the collection of attacks send to um, to the world about the um, quality of Threema's cryptography. Um, and, you know, we, we were somewhat disturbed by the number of things that we did find, and particularly these, you know, complex protocol interactions, which is a... Um, Tough thing to find, but it's also a sort of well-known attack vector, as as is things like looking for failures of key separation. So um, yeah, so initially uh, things things were, were very good, but um, we at some point, I guess we um, we decided we wanted to stick with our message in our paper, and and Threema had a different view. They have a large customer base, they have uh, important corporate customers, and they um, uh, in their blog post that they published um, really wrote. Uh, quite, uh, you might say, negatively about the impact of the individual attacks and the practicality of individual attacks. Um, and I, I think it's sort of understandable that they took a different view. Um, but I think what really uh, got them into a little bit of hot water was the way they tweeted about it. So they sort of, in, in their initial tweet, um, pointing to their blog post, they talked about how we had overplayed uh, our attacks, and we, you know, we came across as—I don't remember the exact wording—but uh, uh, that we were overselling, and it was sad to see students having to do this, even students having to do this. Um, and they also talked about our work only being applicable to an old version of their protocol. And strictly speaking, that's true, but that's because they updated the protocol in response to our work. Um, so this was sort of really rather unfortunate, and. Um, uh, and that probably didn't go down very well with the Twitter community. Um, there was a lot of discussion on Twitter, people saying, mm, this is not the best way to, to, to handle it. Um, you know, they could have thanked the researchers and said that they, you know, have made all of these improvements. Um, and, and people said much, much stronger things than that, which are probably not repeatable on a podcast. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting um, um, experience in terms of vulnerability disclosure. So to quote from the Threema blog post, I'm just going to read the first paragraph here, which they've written in bold. Um, Last year, a student at the Department of Computer Science at ETH Zurich wrote his master's thesis on Threema's communication protocol. ETH Zurich has now published his work as a paper slash preprint. The presented findings have been addressed and no longer apply to Threema's current communication protocol, Ibex, which I think is the name of an animal. Uh, None of them ever had any considerable real-world impact. None of them ever had any considerable real-world impact. So um, when there's a bunch of attacks that have to do with the server being malicious or compromised, like message reordering, uh, weren't you guys able to confirm that these were practically exploitable? Absolutely, because we were able to build an environment where we could test out all of these attacks and, and, and check that. So yeah, there's an interesting point of difference. Another one is an attack we didn't really talk about, but there it's more of a user interface issue that there's a, a facility to export your long-term private key in the app. Um, and it doesn't require you to know a secret password or something at the time when you do the export. You actually choose the password that will be used to do the encryption at the point when you choose to export the key. And you know, imagine an intimate partner violence scenario where the phone falls into the hands of um, a violent partner who is then able to export this long-term private key, and is that then it could, you know, in principle, could you could then decrypt all of the messages from that point onwards, um, and impersonate the user. Um, and so, I think that kind of threat model is just not that much on the on the radar here. Whereas, you know, somewhere like North America, there's a lot of research being done um, by people at Cornell Tech, led by Tom Ristenpart, for example, looking into precisely these kinds of scenarios. So there's also a there's also a cultural aspect to this, right? What what attacks do you consider to be serious, and what attacks do you consider not? To well, be serious? I do agree regarding the cultural aspect. Perhaps in North America, people are more 
suspicious of, uh, you know, uh, government intrusion or stuff like that. I don't want to get into that. But I would assume that the cultural aspect would, point would be moot here because this is a system that is being marketed explicitly towards the army. So in that context, immediately... Yeah, very true. In, very true. I, I'm not an expert uh, on, on, on army threat modeling, but I would assume that if you're working within an army, immediately the context is what happens if we have a server-side compromise, right? Very much more than, you know, if you're dealing with, with uh, consumer-level um, products. Well, I think Threema is doing a bit of a, a word game here because I think what they're, they're saying by no real-world impact was these vulnerabilities weren't exploited which is different from saying they are not practical to exploit. And I think they're playing on that sort of two kind of meeting there. I think it's also hard for them to say there was no real world impact because of these on-prem customers. And they, they you know, Threema doesn't assess the security of the local infrastructure of all of those on-prem customers. So, you know, they, they don't know which on-prem on customers servers have been hacked and taken over. And then these, um, you know, uh, server uh, based attacks could be carried out. Um, so I think it's hard. I think it's a hard claim to justify that there was no real world impact. It's hard to tell when you when you um, sell a product more widely and allow people to deploy it for themselves. Yeah. So I mean, frankly, given my uh, ability, I guess, to appreciate the uh, importance and, and rarity and quality of this work, uh, and the fact that it was delivered free of charge to this, I assume, you know, thriving and successful commercial enterprise. Uh, for me, it's particularly unfortunate that you received such a, uh, in my view, sort of manipulative public statement that uh, prioritized the uh, sort of uh, public relations uh, of Threema vis-a-vis -vis their um, um, private customers at the expense of uh, giving you guys your due uh, simply in terms of not even like financial or, 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 or business or anything, just like uh, appreciating the very important work that you've done in um, doing a sort of security analysis that I don't think would have been possible otherwise. Uh, you cannot hire people to do this unless you hire them full time. The only way that they could have gotten this otherwise was to hire you or a team like you to work within Threema for like a year, basically. You can't contract this sort of security analysis. I can confirm that no bug bounties um, have been paid <laughs> in respect of this work. Um, wow. Yeah. Does Threema offer a bug bounty usually? Um, they do have a bug bounty program, um, but it requires you. It's, 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 not an, it's not completely clear what you can do after the disclosure is finished um, with your research. Um, and so we didn't want to go that route. So we disclosed directly to the uh, email address uh, security at threema.com or so something like that um, and, and so then I, you chose to publish that paper much to the public benefit of uh, you know students that will follow in your footsteps right perhaps working on different projects though so, so thank you very much for that mm -hmm. uh, guys that's 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 really great um, all right so is there really a reason for me to use threema I personally use signal a lot I really like signal should I switch to threema uh, is there a set of security guarantees and benefits that I'm going to obtain if I do that, or should I stick to Signal? I think Signal is a good choice. Okay, what about you, Lucas? Um, I think you're better off using PGP, you know, that way you understand how it works. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think we should all switch to PGP. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you all so much. Uh, for, for your work, for uh, coming on this podcast to describe your results and the context behind your research. Um, I really think that uh, our listeners would appreciate that and check out your paper, your awesome paper titled Three Lessons from Threema, Analysis of a Secure Messenger by uh, Kenneth G. Patterson, Mateos Carlotta, and Kien Tuong Truong, all from the Applied Cryptography Group at ETH Zurich. Um, Kenny, Matteo, and Ken, do you have anything to say before we sign off? I think thanks for having us and, and good luck with uh, getting this podcast rebooted. And, and there's a lot of people who will be eagerly waiting for the next episode after this one. Maybe a message to our listeners uh, do boring crypto. Like the, if you're rolling out your own protocol, uh, do it the boring way, get consulting from 
somebody who does crypto cryptography professionally and yeah like if it's so i know I know that Lucas has an opinion on that. Uh, Lucas believes that it's impossible not to roll out your own protocol. Can you can maybe want to tell us more about that, Lucas? So I don't want to push back too much, but so I, I disagree and that I actually think that Threema suffered too much from boringness because if you look at their protocol, it's basically you exchange and get a static key and then you just encrypt messages using that. So they need more advanced stuff right? They need some kind of ratcheting to get forward secrecy and whatnot. And so while they could have used Signal, it's possible that they thought because of their application's need, they couldn't. And so I guess my point is that like, sometimes you actually do need a bit more crypto than just boring, I guess. Fair, fair point. But I think Signal today is boring. Um, at least for, for from my point of view, like if, if it's in the standards and if it's used by a lot of people, then it's boring, but then I, I am in the academic bubble. Well, Signal became boring, right? Because uh, I remember when I was looking at Signal back in 2015, I was among the first to do that. And at the time, we barely knew how it worked because it wasn't even fully specified yet. And that's that's a drama we'll get into some other time. But uh, yeah, um, Kenny, Kian, any further comments before we sign off? Yeah, also from me. Thank you for, uh, for having us on the podcast. It's been great. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Kenny. Thank you. Ken and Matteo for your awesome research. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, I'll be able to coax uh, Lucas to talk more during the next episode. Uh, that's his first time ever as uh, a co-host here on Cryptography FM. And yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, whether you're a listener or an active participant, I hope to see you with us again next time on Cryptography FM. Cryptography FM.